Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Vela News Podcast. Today, it is all gravel. We are speaking with Mrs. Gravel herself, Mrs. Steamboat Gravel, Amy Charity here in the Boulder offices today. Amy, great to see you. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So a lot of topics we want to run through today. You've got uh, expertise on all manner of things and can't get to all of them today, but I want to get to at least a few of them talking about your own race and some new things you have cooked up, uh, what you've been doing traveling the country with gravel. And then I also want to get your take on a number of things in the gravel world at large, you know, like the UCI Gravel World Series, Gravel Worlds, other series that are out there like uh, Belgian Waffle Ride coming up this weekend. Um, and then just like the ever going mix of competitors versus completers and like, what what is gravel? What is gravel racing? And, and that overlap between the two of those. And I've got a lot of experience there. So let's, uh, maybe you could give people who don't know you as the smiling face behind Steamboat Gravel a bit of an introduction. You know, you were a professional road racer for a while, uh, well, raced at Worlds for the U.S., had a you know, national title, team time trial, and then also had a lot of experience in the financial services industry. How do you go from there to starting Steamboat <laughs> to Gravel? To starting a gravel event. I know it's not the the trajectory that most follow, but yes, I was in financial services right outside after college, um, worked at Capital One for 10 years, ended up moving to Steamboat and working at a hedge fund for a couple of years as well, and um, simultaneously was getting into road racing, um, and I was older than most of the females who were getting into racing. I was in my early 30s, and Started racing around Colorado and eventually got a, a contract with a domestic elite team called Vanderkitten, moved on to Optum, and then raced for the, the U.S. national team. At that point, I had left my career entirely in financial services and pursued bike racing. And um, yeah, it was, it was incredible. Traveled all over the world, raced full time, met some amazing people, and After retiring somewhat officially in 2015 from road racing, started to do some gravel events. I got talked into Unbound Gravel, and that was really one of them that had me excited about, gosh, this is a whole new world of cycling. I think this is something that I'd like to pursue and uh, had two business partners, and we, we had ridden dirt around Steamboat for years. That's just living in a mountain town, the, the paved roads are limited. And so we basically said, Hey, why, why are we traveling to all these different places? Steamboat has incredible gravel. Why don't we start an event? And that was in 2018. We had that discussion and launched SBT gravel in 2019, always with the intention of going big. We, it was very deliberate. We talked about should we do a regional race or a statewide race or national level race or go international? And the the latter was our, our intention and launched SBT Gravel for 2019 and um, turned and crushed it, into, it. Yeah, it turned into a, a, a big race and really established itself on the, the calendar as one of the, the big gravel events in certainly in the U.S., but in the world, because the U.S. is really the the primary spot for gravel right now. Yeah, for sure. You know, when, when Villains, we launched our Monuments of Gravel, we did so by taking a straw poll among elite racers and other gravel promoters, like, what, what are the five most important gravel races? And Steamboat Gravel was one of the ones that was named almost unanimously 
by everyone, even though, even though it had just happened a single year, like all the rest had happened for multiple years and slowly, slowly built up. Yeah. And we were honored to be on that list for sure. And, um, so and- what, what's the, what's the secret sauce? I mean, just because you've done something a lot doesn't, and been a consumer of it, you know, I drink a lot of beer. I love beer. <laughs> I wouldn't know the first thing about how to make the beer. I mean, right. I could explain it conceptually, but as far as like actually doing that's a whole different thing. So how I think there were there were a few things that went into the magic of it. And uh, a couple side a bit more on the luck side, meaning we live in Route County with 600 miles of connected gravel roads. And it's also a mountain town that's used to accommodating tens of thousands of people in the wintertime. So part of it was where we lived. Part of it was the timing. So gravel was just about to explode when we were put, pulling this together. And I think that was a big piece of it. And then um, I think part of it was also relationships that we had. So having uh, a partner who had a lot of connections with within the industry, I think I had a lot of the cycling connections and good relationships with the town of Steamboat. At the time when we launched it, I was the executive director for a nonprofit called Bike Town USA, which was trying to get more cyclists into Steamboat and um, Steamboat's known as Ski Town USA, and we were really trying to increase the summer activity in Steamboat through cycling. And so I think there were all these elements of kind of our relationships and our past that that we pulled together. And we we were also really intentional about our vision for what we wanted to do. And that was creating this incredible bike experience, this great weekend that that covered all the elements of what we all loved about cycling. So uh, you take away some of the stressors of it. Like we just love getting on our bikes, pedaling, having a challenging day somewhere beautiful and having a lot of the logistics that we don't have to worry about. And so I think that putting together an event where we really thought through what is a perfect day on a bike and, and then having the, the ability to create that experience that is, in essence, how I think we we kind of launched it. Some luck, <laughs> some relationships, and then being very uh, deliberate about what we had in mind and following through with that vision. Yeah, so a big part of the, the attraction for gravel events for a lot of us is the challenge. I think that's a word that's commonly used. You know, often it's the distance, and then some of it's the logistics of, okay, what tires should I bring? How do I train for this? What food? As a participant, I like being able to pull up and having a bunch of like just gallons and gallons of cold drinks there, like to not have to worry about that part. I don't want to have to scrounge around and figure out how to work a water purifier. So that's you know that's not a given at gravel races. And part of the fun is like each event can like make its own little formula in addition to the course. But yeah, yeah, you know, steamboats definitely that's that's not the competition. Isn't how to figure out how to hydrate yourself. You just there's well marked feed zones where you stop and take, yeah, take on. We have here. feed zones everywhere. And I'm, I'm, I feel the exact same way. I don't want to have to carry all of my food. I am navigationally challenged. <laughs> I do not want to know which direction I need to turn. I want signs everywhere. Uh, I'm a huge fan of coffee. We have free coffee for riders in the morning. Um, 
We have a great meal after the race. And so we really tried to think through what are all those things that create stress and whether it's having the your computer set up or knowing where to go or where to stop or how much food to take. Let's try to take all of that out of the equation. And then people can really think through just training for a distance that's hard for them. And being challenging is an an interesting discussion as well. So there are some events, and like you said, they can all pick and choose kind of what their thing is. And some are just hard. They throw a lot of different technical riding at you. And we considered it. There are certainly some single track that we could have sent people up. We considered having you ride up to the gondola at the end of the race. <laughs> you know, just, let's finish this off with three miles of 2000 feet elevation gain. And we decided that was a little too much. So we decided that challenge is creating different distances. The black course, 144 miles is long. No matter who you are, that is a big day on the bike. Um, and we also have the challenge of a 37 mile green course. And that's for people who are just dipping their toes into riding or not used to doing that kind of endurance riding. Mm -hmm. So challenge for us was through the distance mm -hmm. and of course through the pace mm -hmm. as opposed to through the terrain. So 2019 was the first event. Uh, 2020 was a COVID year. Uh, last year sold out in minutes. In minutes. Yeah. Th 3,000 spots, yeah. something like this. 3, in minutes. minutes. Similar for uh, 2022. So if you're listening and you want to get in, sorry. Volunteer <laughs> <laughs> this year and you're guaranteed next year. Yeah. And and turns out you can yeah come out and volunteer and enjoy riding for a long weekend uh, in and around the races. You know, like my colleague Betsy Welch was you know, one of the things she very much enjoys. Like a lot of us is, is some of the rides before and after the ride. Like at, uh, your buddy, Bobby Wintle's event at the mid South, there were like five different official shakedown rides, like excluding people just getting together casually. And so like, that's become a thing. And it really that, that's has. certainly part of the weekend. You know, we were coming up with the Vela News crew and we're planning to be there at least four days, maybe five days. And so yeah, race race day is is the anchor of the thing. But, you know, unlike a road event where you'd show up and you don't see anyone until you're at the start line with them and then you give them the stink eye and then you race and then you, you know, hightail it out of town. The yeah. the gravel events are different in that, yeah, you try to you know, get as many days off of work as you can and and maximize the time that you're in this beautiful place that you might have not been before. And uh, That's right. It's no longer the the parking lot crit where no one talks or looks at each other. And yeah, I th we're trying to build in activities. We want people to come, bring their families, come a few days before. So between all of our shakeout rides and the expo and panels and yoga, we have so many activities that we we think people will bring their families. They have done that in the past, and we're seeing uh, people are staying longer and longer. Mm -hmm. So, speaking of giving your competitors the stink eye, let's let's talk about uh, some some characters like uh, Kimo, Kimo and uh, Bobby and and Michael, uh, some others. Those guys, yeah, those guys. So, <laughs> oh, you know, I was looking at the mid south, you know, past podiums. Um, and was surprised to see, especially on the female side, how many uh, women who have done that done well at that event in the past also have their own events now. You obviously with Simo Gravel, um, Christy with Unbound Gravel, uh, Amanda Nauman with Mammoth Tough. You know, just like on on down the Rebecca line. Rebecca Rush. Re yeah. Oh yeah, Rebecca Rush. Yeah, yeah. etc. Um, and those events are now spinning off into to bigger things. So let's start with with Lifetime. Of you know, I know you and Chemo are 
good friends. I think even you guys rode together at Unbound one year, if not multiple years. Yeah, we did. We did. Um, And he was, he was very helpful in fixing flats. And this is funny because it's turned into a very controversial topic, but um, of, of, can you help one another in a gravel event? But yes, there was a year 2019 that Kimo and I rode together. And um, I would say we were helpful to one another. I was much less helpful to him when he tacoed his wheel. That was when I had, had to carry on on my own. But um, you, know, I had extra water at one point, extra food, and he helped with fixing flats. But yeah, Kimo is one of my one of my close friends. And I should know this, uh, but I don't. So help me out here, Kimo Seymour's title with Lifetime is um, Grand Poobah he, Vice President. Of- <laughs> yeah, he, I think he's. VP of Lifetime, but the head of all of events. So I don't know what that official title is, but he's in charge of all the Leadville, Unbound, all of the events. Yeah. So for for listeners, if you've ever done a Lifetime event, Chemo's in in charge of them and often uh, out there enjoying them in some capacity himself. So yeah, big, big bike rider. Uh, What do you think about the Lifetime Grand Prix? You partnered with uh, lifetime previously with the lifeboat. Leadboat, yes. Leadboat, lifeboat, yes, leadboat, right. leadboat. Right, right. <laughs> with right. Leadville being Saturday, Seamboat Gravel being Sunday. Why not yeah. do both of them? That's right. <laughs> Great idea. Yeah. No, I think the Grand Prix is I think it creates a great opportunity. So from I I have a ton of friends who are doing it, an athlete that I coach is doing it. And it it opens up really an opportunity, first of all, to make money. And I think that that is something that historically- For the riders. For the riders, yes. yes. Historically, cycling is not a lucrative sport. And I think when they put a quarter of a million dollars on the line, I know it's distributed among men and women and goes fairly deep, but that's real money. And especially in cycling, that's real money. So I think that carrot out there is creating a lot of interest for the riders certainly creates opportunities for brands to get behind it as well. But I think that this is putting a lot of attention on cycling. The fact that they are live streaming these events is also going to help grow the sport. So from my perspective, I think the general concept of of putting a big price purse out there for a series of events is something that has worked well in the past. And I, I, I commend them for doing that. And I think it's going to help grow gravel cycling. I think that there are probably some details that they'll iron out for next year, and they're probably going to learn a ton this year. But um, as the general setup of equal men and women, equal prize purse, and let's give the the roadies and the mountain bikers and the historically gravel riders, let's give them all a shot and not there, I have no idea who's going to win this series. Like I'm fascinated watching it. I was watching Sea Otter on the front lines, like ecstatic to see how that would go down. And I think it's going to ebb and flow a lot. So it, I think it was a really smart move for Lifetime to put this on. And I think it's helpful in general for putting eyeballs on, on cycling and on gravel cycling specifically. Sure. I mean, from a media perspective, we're excited about it just because First time things are always exciting. Like this has never been done before. Um, and you know, stage racing or a series is not a new thing, but a series that mixes mountain bike and gravel is absolutely a new series. And yeah, we think yeah, Keegan Swinson's got a good shot, but yeah, we don't know how it's going to shake down. That makes for the base, best type of racing from a spectator standpoint is like, you don't know what's going to happen. It's 
For sure. Fun, and it's, it's fun to see elite cyclists sweat things. Yeah. You know, like Ashton Lambie's got world titles and he doesn't know how to ride, ride a mountain bike. He will be the first to tell you like at, at that level, you know, so he was like doing a mountain bike skills camp. Like how does, how do you do this work? Which way do you point these things? That's <laughs> totally. fun to see. No, it's fascinating. And the, the roadies and the gravel cyclists are somewhere just getting mountain bikes for the first time and going out and, and trying out these courses. So that makes it really fun and interesting. And then who knows, like unbound is a, totally different skill set of just being able to go that long for for so many people there are very few people that that is their thing and so it'll it'll be fascinating i can't wait to see how it unfolds from your perspective how much do how much does like elite level racing affect interest in participants wanting to do something you know cuz you know, obviously we've at Villanus we've got a a bias of like we we cover the sport from the like what the pros are doing last weekend, Liege, Bastogne, Liege. That's one type of thing. None of our readers are going to go and do Liege next year, or maybe two or three may do it. Um, gravel's a different kettle of fish, but uh, in your experience, how many of your riders are there because it's there are high-level racers there, and how many are oblivious to who is lining up at the front of the race. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think that the the value that the the pro riders, they one, they get the word out there. So that's like that's one of the very helpful things. Oh, Allison Tetrick's doing this race. This must be interesting. This must be something fun to go to. So I think that that kind of helps spread the word. But what I will say is I think that the gravel enthusiast who is looking to have a good time and challenge themselves, they, they're not there for a rider. I don't think anyone even take a, a Ted King or take the, whoever is the biggest name in gravel with Alex house, whoever it may be. I don't think I don't think the everyday rider goes to an event because of those. I think it creates an element of excitement for them when we announce who's at SBT gravel and it's the who's who, and it's, Hey, they were on the world tour. They were a world champion in mountain biking. I think that that creates a lot of interest and it creates a lot of story, but I don't think it's the actual draw. I think it's more of there. It's very helpful to get the word out there. Um, we've had, we have professional athletes who are not cyclists go to SBT gravel. We'll have even more this year. And again, we, we don't open up registration saying, Hey, this, this person will be here. Dahani Jones, NFL player will be here. And that's why you should come. But when people find that out, it's even more exciting to them. I think it's, it's kind of creating an elevated experience but it's not the actual draw. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like uh, maybe a rude analogy or rough analogy here in Boulder. There's a, a 10 K called the Boulder Boulder. It's a big community event. You know, 50,000 people do this. I've done it a few years, not because that there's crazy fast people at the front, but because it's a fun community thing, like run it with my kids and neighbors, whatever, take a Doritos or a beer hand up and do the slip inside. <laughs> And then at the end of the day, it's fun to see, you know, compare your times with the world's best who are running. And like, they did that in what? Exactly. What? <laughs> that's, that's the other I, I don't know anything about professional running. I don't recognize any of the names, yeah. but just having that, um, that context 
is a fun thing. And that's absolutely to your point. That's not why I signed up, but it just adds, it's just one more neat. Yeah, no, absolutely. Just put it. And you, you realize, I mean, it's cycling similar to every sport, but there's like another layer. You think you're pretty fast and there's someone who's a lot faster and and it is, it's an interesting, humbling experience, but it, it is always, it's, it's great to see like, whoa, what are those guys actually doing at that level? Those women are riding so fast. And I love kind of, you look at averages on it and I think it, it, it does make it even more interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Another layer of pro cycling in gravel UCI world series is finally kicking off, um, with, uh, you know, a dozen or so events, only one or two I'd even vaguely heard of before. So that's, I'm curious to hear your, your thoughts on the, the series as a whole and, and the whole gravel worlds. Um, so, if, you know, I understand where you, where steamboat gravel was asked to be part of the world series were. and you know, what, what would be the, the, the pros and the cons? Obviously yeah. you decided against it. Yeah. Why is, why so? Yeah. Um, and I think that, Specifically for Steamboat, we were approached by USAC quite a few times. And, and USAC being USA, USA Cycling, Cycling yeah. who is working with UCI on pulling this event together. And from, from our perspective, it worked a bit against what we built SBT for. And that was um, that we, we like to set our own aid stations and our own rules and our own, which our own rules are kind of not many rules. And so coming from a road background and knowing what's required when something is driven by the UCI, it just didn't feel like it went in line with what we had created. And, and there were a lot of details to work out, but our thought was these independent races, um, that, that aren't regulated by a governing body can, can pick and choose. And so from our perspective, it was, this probably isn't the place where we want to take SBT gravel. Maybe it, it keeps it on the map longer. Maybe there's better marketing for it, but none of those reasons were compelling enough. Um, And from our perspective, we have a great event and we didn't want to change it. We, we like that it's not governed. Um, That said, I, I, I think it's a good thing to bring in, um, the, U, the UCI we'll see how it unfolds. And I say a good thing, just that I want more gravel events. I want to see more people in gravel. I, I think that if we grow the sport and we generate more interest and we create possibilities or opportunities, if it's done well, that's a good thing. I, and, and it's too soon to tell how they do this. Like that's, you know, I think that if it's just a road race and it's a team and it's a road race on dirt, there's, we don't, we don't need that necessarily, but if they're able to kind of find a way where they're getting people to go to different places or getting more people into the sport, then, then I think it's a good thing. Are you planning on attending any of these races yourself to check them out or to, to participate as a writer? I'm, I'm not. Um, and, but, but I think there is an audience for it. We, we talked to a lot of our writers, some that kind of finish at the pointy end and said, what do you think of this? And, and 
it was really mixed. Some were like, this is cool. This is great. Like I would love to wear the stripes and gravel. And, and others were like, no way, this doesn't make any sense. We're not, we're independent gravel riders. This is not what this is about. This is counter to everything that gravel is. And so we, we really saw a mixed bag. So I think that there are people who want to chase that kind of that title and they're in an earlier stage or they're in that stage of their lives that that's something that's important to them. So for me personally, um, that, you know, that's not anything that I would want to, would want to chase, but I like that gravel is becoming more established. And I think it, it does, it, it, if it expands into other parts of the world, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yeah, that is definitely a, a big part of the push this year is there's just two events in the U.S., which is uh, in some way surprising. But yeah, if the goal is to grow it globally, then yeah. yeah, it makes sense to take it elsewhere. Yes, very much a wait and see thing, including waiting and seeing when the UCI Gravel World Championships will be. It's been widely rumored to be this fall in Italy, but that has yet to be formally uh, confirmed. So yeah, wait I think and that see. they're realizing they're. There are a lot of details to work out yeah. <laughs> with this non-rules based situation. It's and gravel is such a broad term. It's you see in all the events, even in the US, that it can anything unpaved technically is gravel, but you can also have paved roads. So mm -hmm. there's mm -hmm. just so many details to work out. And as we've seen, like what what do teams look like? Are is this independent? There's just there are a lot of details that that need to be. So putting on a big professional gravel race is not a piece of cake is what you're saying. <laughs> it is a full-time job for a lot of people. For the Velenos audience, you know, the term UCI means European road racing for the most part. Um, I think it's an interesting distinction is that Erwin Vervecken, who's been doing a lot of UCI work the last 10 years plus, has been with the Grand Fondo series and world championships, which is very much not professional racing. And that seems to be in a lot of ways more akin to what gravel is. It's a participatory thing. And yes, some people take it more seriously than others. And you can get a Grand Fondo world championship jersey. Who won that last year? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know either. Besides the, yeah, the, the woman and man who won the jerseys and the people who were like right behind them, probably no one else in the world does either. But yeah, so that's, that's a thing. I think that's sort of like, that's been helpful context for me and thinking about what the Gravel World Series is. It's like, it's just a dirt grand fondo. And Where they might take this. Yeah. yeah. I know, to, to be determined. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. Uh, another series, uh, Michael Mark's Belgian Waffle Ride, who for years insisted, this is not a gravel race. It's a, <laughs> it's a European classic on the cobblestones that are San Diego rocks. Um, has uh, like steamboat gravel was uh, hands down nominated as a monument of gravel when we were doing our straw poll. Super popular, uh, you know. He's claiming the San Diego event is the world's largest in terms of participation. Um, kudos to to Mr. Marks for pulling that off. We're heading out there here in a couple of days. What what has your perspective been on BWR growing from a one day event to now a four day series and and do you do you think a lot of riders um, are buying into that as something to chase all four or is it now just like well here's just different um, opportunities that may be closer to my home so I'll go do Asheville because I live in North Carolina yeah. Yeah. You know, I haven't seen the numbers of people who did sign up for the entire series, but from 
anecdotally, I'd say that it's more the latter of what you described, that it's more of where is that convenient place or what fits into my calendar. I think when you take the the Lifetime series and also BWR series, and then there are a handful of independent races like SBT, like Rebecca's, like Mid-South that other that you want to do, you look at that calendar and all of a sudden it's huge and very few people can do that many events. So for the the pro riders or those that are are doing these you know to win, they're really picking their their calendars on what they want to do. And uh and I think that the everyday rider, they just can't do that many events. So I think the it's it makes sense to to kind of try to find those pockets in the US that were potentially unfulfilled and that that had a, a need for a gravel event. And I think to be determined if it becomes a series that everyone watches and wants to do, from my perspective, I don't think it's quite there yet. Um, and it's more of let's pick and choose the races that that fit our calendar. Mm-hmm. To that point, that exact phrase is something I we've heard a lot when asking the pro riders, hey, are you going to do UCI Worlds if and when it ever is finally announced? And it was like, well, I'll see if it fits. I've already committed to a lot of races based on A, what I want to do, B, what my sponsors have asked slash told me to do. And so, yeah, if it fits, maybe. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's what it, 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 there's no doubt that it's a saturated calendar. There are a lot of choices. And so I think people are we're it's still in a position where you can say these are the things I really like in a gravel event. I want to do 200 miles, or I want to do something short and fast, or I want something technical or non-technical, or I want to go to a destination. And so the everyday rider can still choose all of those things and decide which events to do. Um, and then yeah, the pros it's they they have they have packed schedules right now with all of the the gravel events that have that have popped up in the past couple of years. So give us your your travel guide advice. What which events do you <laughs> do you like and we what like when you're you know if you had all the time in the world to plan a few vacation uh, events which would you go to and why? Yeah, that's <laughs> that, that's a great question. Um so I'm a huge fan of Bobby and Mid-South I have a love-hate relationship with, but I think it's a good if you can um you know living in Colorado for me but for others if you can have some fitness in March it's a it is a cool experience and it's worth it for that Bobby hug <laughs> that you get. So let's let's dig into that love and the, <laughs> and the hate. What? Starting with the fun stuff. What do you, what do you hate about it? The mud. The mud south. The mid south. Sorry. Sorry. The mid south. That is, yeah. The mid south. It's funny because I had a 2018. I No, I'm sorry. 2019, I raced it in a dry year. And it was just this lovely, like, great course, rolling hills, stunning atmosphere, like, fast pace, just this, this great March race, it was like, wow, that was a good season opener. So I went into 2020 very naively and it was a mud year, which I don't know what the statistics are, but it happens every, maybe 30% of the time. And people had warned me and told me to bring like the mud stick, but, um, I, I hit some low points in that event and I added three hours onto my time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> gives any perspective, um, same distance. 
And there were a couple standstill moments of not being able to move forward. And that was literally couldn't lift my bike, couldn't roll my bike and just like trying to get the clay like mud off to get to a point where I could just do something. But there was no one was coming to save me. <laughs> it, but it's one of I will never, ever forget that race. There are pictures of me that are like horrifying to my mom. Like, <laughs> it was yeah. honestly like, like drool. Mud, and like, it, I just like unbelievable the the depth of suffering. So um, I know that's what you sign up for in cycling, bike racing in general, certainly in muddy bike racing and in gravel racing. But yeah, that was the not love part, but it was still a great experience. You still have Bobby there at the end. So, um, you know, I've seen Bobby for president <laughs> as a call out. <laughs> and I've been told, no offense, Amy, but Bobby is the most loved race director. <laughs> so yeah, there's that part of it. So that Mid-South would be on my calendar. Yeah, it's interesting. So sometimes the events are very personality-centric and sometimes the the course is the thing like at unbound gravel. Yes, there are absolutely personalities behind it, but that's not so much what the event is about. It's your, it's about your 10, 12, 14, 18, 24 hours yeah. uh, out there. It, yeah. And I think unbound is definitely, that would be the number two stop and unbound. I think the 200 full disclosure, I signed up for the 100 this Me year. Me too. <laughs> See you there. Yeah. See you out there. <laughs> Um, yeah, will be plenty. It'll be I, good you know, and plenty. And actually, side note, I'm wondering if things are trending that way because for SBT, we have more signed up for our blue course, which is our hundred miler, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. than the hundred and forty miler, the black course. And I'm wondering if that's a trend because you're not the first person I've talked to that was traditionally a two hundred miler going a hundred. I, I would welcome this trend. And like, we've often joked, like, where will this one-upsmanship end? Where like, okay, your race is 50. Oh yeah. Mine's a hundred. Yours is 100. Mine's 200. Now the, you know, unbound gravel XL 350. Like what? Yeah. Uh, uh, I know. So you think we've, we may have reached a, a point I, of I'm wondering that. sanity? Yeah. Maybe? I, well, or it goes both ways, you know, like I think that 350 is still very popular and more and more people are talking about doing that. But, um, I don't know to say I'm only doing the hundred. I'm only doing the wafer. I slap people's wrists all the time for saying that. Take that qualifier out. A hundred miles is far. Yes. And even the Belgian waffle ride, the wafer is 70 miles with 6,000 feet of climbing. Like that's a big day. (laughs) So competing versus completing. Would you, at Steamboat, how many people do you think are coming there to set a good time, you know, whether it's like beat their buddies or just beat their prior year and how many are coming there just for the experience. I realize like, it's not like you can get that in your survey data, but like what's, but you talk to a lot of people and you've got a good, so what's, what's your sense there? I think it's, uh, like pros racing for money is small. Like that, that number is probably, uh, we have over a hundred registered pros. So those are people who think maybe I have a shot and, um, but people who, a lot of people do want to do well. Like if you look at the start, I always look at the front 25% of people who are trying to line up there. Like I, I want to be in the mix as opposed to the people who are like, put me as far back as I can. I don't even want to get 
in involved with this elbows that, that everyone's throwing at the beginning. So I think that percentage of people who want a good time, want to go fast is somewhere in the 20% range would be sort of my ballpark guess out of 3000. And so that still goes to say that the bulk of people are there just for an experience. They will stop at the aid stations they take pictures along the way. They're noticing. They'll they'll pull over at points, and they're out there with buddies. So I think that is really our market is that that eighty percent. And do you think that's representative of gravel riding racing as a whole in the U.S. Is about that like twenty eighty or so? I I really do think so. I think that you have. You certainly have your retired masters racers or your retired pros, but those are smaller communities than those mm-hmm. are the the people we talk to that are just out there to to have a great day out there. Mm-hmm. So that to me is really encouraging. That means the the pie is growing a little bit. More people are getting into the sport of cycling. Mm-hmm. For us, you know, outside events formerly known as Royal Massif, you know, we've got two gravel events: Wild Horse Gravel coming up here. Uh, mid-May on the Western Slope of Colorado and then Cricket Gravel later this summer. Both of those, we started with a, you know, what we call Grand Fondo Sportif format where we had time segments thinking, well, this is a way to have our cake and eat it too or let racers have their racer cake and riders have their rider cake and that um, not the whole thing would be raced. And then we, you know, came to realize that most people don't care about the clock anyhow. Like, oh, there's a timing mat there? That's nice. Didn't Good notice. for you. Didn't didn't notice. Didn't care. Yeah. The fact that you had multiple, you know, aid stations with lovely volunteers and delicious food that was sweet. The fact that you told you know told us where these vistas were so we could pull over and take pictures that was nice. The fact that we're out there enjoying beautiful country like that's why we're here. So like, oh okay. So now we've changed the format a bit and that they're you know just one section, one long section. You know, there's like a neutral rollout. You know, with um, at Crooked Gravel Winter Park. You know, police escort from Winter Park down to Fraser, and then once you're on the dirt, then it's game on for that yeah. entire loop. Um, and I think the format will still be the same. There will be a portion of people who will be racing it and looking at their heart rate and their power and each other and drafting and attacking and et cetera. <laughs> right. And there will be a lot of people out there just having a great time. Having fun. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, Pete Stetna's pay dirt is this year mm-hmm. um, in May, and he's doing time segments on that. So mm-hmm. it'll be Fascinating to see if because of who he is, does he draw more of the racers or um, is he drawing the the people that we're seeing in our events, which are kind of the everyday riders? Mm-hmm. I know he's aiming to have an element of fun in that race. And so um, that's that's a big piece of it. So, yeah. Yeah, I know. Initially, he was talking about having time bonuses for things like, like having a gesturing with my hands, which doesn't work very well for a podcast, uh, you know, like lassoing competitions and you know, like riding yes. a bucking Bronco. And if you I, can stay on for eight seconds, that will deduct a minute from your time. Or I think that is all part of it. Um, I'm not sure how I'll do in that. <laughs> you haven't been doing your bucking Bronco training. I have training. not been training that at all. So I, I'm not sure that I'll excel in that area. <laughs> so you've been on, on the road a bit with the group called on the road. Um, and you've also been doing work with the uh, Ride for Racial Justice, Marcus Robinson's organization. Yeah. Marcus is here in Denver. Um, I know a little about that, but not much, especially what you've been up to recently. So what's what what are the drivers there? What, what are the objectives with, yeah. with those two organizations? Well, the whole the whole idea with SBT on the road was going back into the gravel communities where 
really we had support from people who come to Steamboat to do our event and going out there and going to those communities, riding with them and tying a fundraising element to it. So we've done a handful of them, started off at the end of last year in Scottsdale, Arizona, joined one of their rides, um, did did um, gave away a lot of swag for SBT, but also tied it to fundraising. And then went to Calabasas, California, did another one and worked with Bahati Foundation and came up with another very cool initiative with that. But the idea was, it was great. It was how do we pull together the SBT audience that's in LA, get everyone together and say thank you to them and also raise money for a cause. And that one did, that was great. Like we had people from all different parts of everywhere around LA area uh, over a hundred riders came out there and raised just about enough money for Bahati Foundation to bring five kids from LA to SBT Gravel. And we just uh, actually yesterday got back from one in San Antonio, Texas, which was with Ride for Racial Justice. And this was Ride for Racial Justice for background was 25 athletes that applied to be part of this program. It was a full scholarship for SBT Gravel, flights, hotels, all inclusive. If they needed any sort of bikes, bike parts, they could get them. And this was done for, for last year, 2021. This was for 2021. Yes. And, and how can we increase the diversity at SBT Gravel? How do we increase the BIPOC community? How do we introduce it into cycling? How do we grow that? Um, and so SBT Gravel worked very closely with Marcus Robinson and Neil Henderson, who founded Ride for Racial Justice. And our thought at the beginning is this is, wow, this is great. This is 25 athletes. We had Zooms every single month all year. They got to SBT and it was, it was so much more than I imagined it would be. It was absolutely like the energy there was palpable. It was the most diverse I've ever seen a cycling event. Um, and it was more than those 25 athletes. We really worked on inclusivity. And so our thought was, this is just the beginning. Let's make sure those 25 athletes come back to SBT, but let's open the doors to another 25. And how do we continue to scale this program? How do you get we need more than 50 people. We want this to be nationwide. We want to really increase the number. So one of the things we ask the athletes when they're applying to, to have the scholarship is what will you do in your community to help grow the BIPOC population in cycling? And one of the women, Jess Brunson, who lives in San Antonio said, I think I can get a big group of people to ride here. Let's raise money for Ride for Racial Justice. SBT, will you come to this and support it? And so this was her initiative, and this was her way to give back and to help grow the community of cyclists in her hometown of San Antonio. And so this really escalated. Our brands got behind it. Specialized was there. Honey Stinger was there. Shammy Butter was there. We raised money for Ride for Racial Justice, spent an entire weekend doing panels and rides, and had 100-plus cyclists come out from Austin, San Antonio, Houston to just have conversations and start talking about how you make cycling more welcoming, more inclusive. And again, it was something that it was, yeah, Jess, that's a good idea. Let's see what we can do. And it turned into something huge. And so from our perspective, this is just the beginning. This is the way that we 
get more people into our sport. And it's going out to those communities and spreading the word. These are free events. This is just a way to get people together and have conversations. And so we'll do more of them. We, um, you know, we'll, we'll certainly take this on the road structure next year. And we're already thinking about the fall of where to go for these. And how do we just get the word out on cycling and raise money for these causes that are important to us? Mm-hmm. And expanding that community and the experience beyond, like we were talking about earlier, not just the extended race weekend, but yeah, multiple other weekends and multiple other locations. That's yeah. It. Yeah. And it's, it was, it was amazing to see just the turnout for it. And it's, and it's not a, just a group of friends. It was people from all different communities coming together and, I think that's what it takes. It's there's a lot of you know what we see on social media and like oh that's happening but when you're there you're talking to people you're you're um you're forming a community and that's how you make it lasting. And so it was it was great. It was something that um really exceeded our expectations. Yeah, that's cool. Now, some of your competitors have we as we've talked about have multiple events in the US, uh Steamboat Gravel by name is in Steamboat Gravel, one place. <laughs> but I understand, uh, you know, little bird, little birdie has told me that there's some plans for expansion elsewhere. What yes. uh, what can yeah. you reveal at yes. this point? <laughs> well, very little. But what I can reveal is um, gravel has really excelled in the U.S. And I think um, you know, it, you can look at uh, a calendar throughout the year. You can find a gravel event somewhere in our country. And, and it's, it's great to see. It's really, um, something that people are, it's becoming very mainstream and something that you can do no matter where you live, there's gravel in every state. And our team has thought through what is the best way to, um, look at the SBT brand and the experience that we've been able to create in Steamboat. And can we take that elsewhere? And in an area that we don't think has been, um, you know, established yet as a gravel destination is, is Europe. I know that's broad <laughs> continent. Um, but we are looking to expand SBT gravel into Europe for 2023. Um, so save the date for late <laughs> June, 2023, mark your, I know already busy calendar and, um, we'll have a lot more information to come on that, but we are planning a, a very exciting international scale event that will have a lot of the same elements of what SBT is. So uh, an event that is family included, something that you want to spend several days in an iconic destination um, with incredible gravel roads, a couple of different distances, and um, the, the full scale events. So expo before and a, a place that you want to go. So, and, and we'll also, you know, one of the things that we established SBT on was invest in the racers, invest in the community, invest in causes. And those are, that is something we'll do again. So this event will be something that um, we, we really make sure that the racer experience is one that you think, wow, not only that incredible, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to invite my friends. And so stay tuned for the exact location. Um, but the date is, uh, it's June, 2023, June 23, somewhere, somewhere in Europe where the, 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 <laughs> the city can be discernible when you remove all the vowels and you can still understand <laughs> what that yes, exactly. place is. 
and we'll, right. we'll probably sell out quite quickly. So not only I think have, it will. I could probably not only need to preserve the June date, but also the uh, registration the registration date. date. So you're sitting there with your your uh, computer up and your this fall your fingers limbered up to <laughs> register with fury. That's right. Well, Amy Charity, it's been lovely speaking with you, seeing with you, and uh, next event up will be. You, that you um, and I will be at will be Unbound Gravel. Well, Belgian oh, Waffle Ride. You will be at Belgian Waffle Ride. Okay. <laughs> I'm doing the short distance. The, on Sunday. Yes, at, Sunday. Once again, I will I see you there. No, gonna, you're doing the short also. I will cover the the, <laughs> the 140 Madness, whatever it is, Saturday, and then do Excellent. the Civilized Distance Sunday. and then The Civilized Distance. Yeah. That's right. And then you, of course, are always welcome at our outside events, Wild Horse Gravel and Crooked Gravel. Here in lovely thank Colorado. You. So hope to see you at, I hope at I can those make it also. Too. Yeah. Thank you for your time. And listeners, thank you once again for joining us on the Vela News podcast. We'll speak with you next week. Yeah.